0: So the message this morning will be in Second Kings chapter 5, and whenever I speak at churches, the messages that I give are the same ones that I give to the people at the lion's den, the same messages. And this is the story of a man named Naaman. I like the story of Naaman, how he receives a life-changing miracle. People come to the lion's den to receive a life-changing miracle, to, to receive a new direction in their lives. It's a fascinating story that we're going to look at this morning together. In the beginning of this book, we have the transition from the ministry of Elijah with a J to Elisha with an S. And so we have this transition. Elisha was the servant of Elijah. And it was told that the Lord would take Elijah up in a whirlwind to heaven. And so Elijah asks Elisha what he may do for him before he leaves. And then Elisha says that he would like a double portion of his spirit to come upon him. And then Elijah grants that request, and the Lord sends a chariot of fire and horses of fire that takes Elijah up into heaven. His mantle falls to the ground. Elisha picks it up and steps into that row that Elijah was leaving behind. And he becomes a vessel for some amazing miracles that were performed through Elisha. He was God's man. And so now we're in 2 Kings chapter 5, and starting in verse 1, we get the introduction to Naaman. And it says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Naaman was an important man, and we see four things about this man that are positive. He was a commander, which means that he was the highest-ranking officer in the king's army. He was a great man. He had high social standing and prominence. He was an honorable man, highly regarded by the king, And he was a mighty man of valor. He was a courageous warrior. So he had a lot going for him. But, and there's a but in verse 1, and it's a big one. He was a leper, but he was a leper. That trumped everything else. We just did a dramatic performance at the Lion's Den for our Christmas talent show, for those of you who might have been there, where we did a performance about leprosy and about a man who becomes a leper. And we kind of walked through the stages of what that would have looked like. Lepers were isolated from society. They could not participate in the daily social activities that were taking place. You were considered to be unclean because you were. You were separated. You were on the outside looking in. You would literally be separated from your family, from your wife, from your kids. You could not be there for them for all of life's amazing moments, weddings and birthdays and celebrations and feasts. I think leprosy... Correlate so closely with drug addiction and alcohol addiction. How you are considered unclean whenever you're an addict. How you're stigmatized and how you are separated. You separate yourself. You're not there for the daily activities that are happening in your community. But it was a plague that would spread all over your body. Joshua mentioned in his testimony that it started small and then it snowballed and got worse from there. And that's how leprosy works. It starts very small. Perhaps you can cover it up in the beginning. Today you could wear makeup, or you could put something on your body possibly to cover it up and to keep it out of public view. But over time it gets worse. With drug addiction, you can sort of hide it in the beginning. You can do some things that might keep it out of the public view and hide it from your family. But as it progresses and gets worse, it becomes harder and harder and harder to keep it from being noticed. It brought with it shame and embarrassment. Sin operates the same way. Start small. Progressively, it always gets worse. No matter what the sin is, it always gets worse. And so Naaman is a leper. And in verse 2 it says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman leads a raid, and they capture this young Israelite girl and bring her back to be Naaman's servant. This young Israelite girl knows of a solution. So you can see the providence of God working in Naaman's life. This was no coincidence. This was no accident. So when we look at what God's providence is, and we just talked about this, I think last week or the week before at the Lion's Den, we looked at the two ways that God accomplishes His purposes. The two ways that God acts and moves. One way is through miracles. I think we're all pretty much familiar with what a miracle is. A miracle is when God disrupts natural order to accomplish something. He walks on water, raises someone from the dead that's been dead for four days. A miracle. There is no natural explanation for it. It is supernatural. It is a miracle and God used Elisha, Elijah, the prophets. We see many miracles in the Bible. The other way that God works is by his providence. So a miracle is when God disrupts natural order to do something. Providence is when God uses natural order to do something. To me, that's even more remarkable been a miracle. I can understand a miracle. God is God. He can do what He wants. He can do all things. If He wants to walk on water, raise from the dead, heal a disease, like that makes sense to me. God's providence is beyond even my comprehension. How God can use normal things, natural things. He can use our free choices, our free will, to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament Is an amazing picture of how God does that. How Joseph's father gives him a coat of many colors and his brothers begin to hate him. Joseph has dreams. He tells his brothers about the dreams. They become even more filled with anger. They plot to kill him. They're going to kill him in the desert, in the wilderness and tell their father that he got eaten by wolves or wild animals. They sell him to slavery. He goes to Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house. He gets accused of rape. He gets put in prison. He interprets dreams in prison. He gets forgotten about in prison. He finally gets released from prison by interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. He rises to the top and has in second in command in Egypt. There's a famine that comes in the land. Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. They discover that Their brother that they sold into slavery can now kill them. If he so chooses, they beg for mercy and for forgiveness. And then Joseph says something that's very beautiful. He says, you guys did not send me here. God sent me here. God did this, not you guys. What you guys meant for evil, God meant for good that many would be saved. It's incredible. His providence. So this didn't happen by accident, but God was making a way. And here is something important to realize, is that this girl was just as important in this story as anyone else. We know the the prophet Elisha. He's famous. He's well-known. Nobody knows the name of this young Israelite girl. But without the girl, there could be no miracle in the future. Somebody had to be there to tell Naaman about where the solution is. Everybody wants to be the prophet. Everybody wants to be the man or the woman who performs the miracle and gets all the credit. But the young Israelite girl was just as important. And we can all be that person, each and every one of us. And we're going to be that person much more often than we're going to be the prophet. We can all be the people who tell someone about where the solution is. We can all be those people that God uses in his providence to direct people to where they need to be, to find their hope and to find their healing. And so this young Israelite girl knows of a solution. In verse four, it says, And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and he said, Am I guide to kill and make alive? that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's, house, Naaman takes advantage of the opportunity that is given to him. He goes. He goes, and he does what he needs to do. He's willing to try anything. Because why not? Why not? He has nothing to lose and everything to gain. I tell the folks that in our ministry all the time. Why not give it a shot? What do you have to lose? You don't have anything to lose, but look at what you have to gain. Like, why not give this a shot? Naaman was desperate to get this illness taken care of. That is where I was at when I reached the end of my drug addiction back in 2012, over 10 years ago. I was, I had the the mentality, I'll go wherever I have to go. I'll do whatever I have to do. I don't want to be this person any longer. If you're telling me that I have to run through a brick wall to no longer be the person that I currently am, I would have tried it. Probably would have been successful, but I would have tried it. Like you have to reach that point in your life of desperation. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give it a shot. I have nothing to lose. But man, do I have everything to gain? And so the king of Israel and the king of Syria communicate with each other. Elisha hears about it, and he says, Send Naaman. To me. Verse 10: Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand. And call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. You can see how prideful Naaman is the pride and the arrogance of this man i just recently said that prideful drug addict should be an oxymoron prideful alcoholic a prideful man with leprosy like those two things should not go hand in hand but they do i was a very prideful drug addict i thought that i knew things that I had things figured out, that I knew better than other people. I was still that way even when I sought help. So I get it. But what position is Naaman in to complain about what God has determined to do to heal him? What position is he in? God, through Elisha, determines that he's going to crush the pride that exists inside of Naaman, and he's going to humble him. Could Elisha have waved his hands and God healed Naaman that way? He could have, sure, he could have. But God did not determine to do that. That is not what God decided to do. And he's working something out of Naaman even as this healing is happening. Elisha didn't even go out to meet him. Naaman's a very important man. He is a man of prominence and stature. And Elisha just sent out a messenger to go greet him. This offended Naaman. Surely he will come out to me. Just wave his hand over this place and heal me. That's how Naaman thought that it should happen. He wanted it done the way that he wanted it done. We see that a lot. We see that a lot. Yes, I do want to be healed. Yeah, I don't want to be a drug addict anymore or an alcoholic, but it's going to be done the way that I want it to be done. Not only did Elisha not come out to greet Naaman, but he tells Naaman to go dip in the Jordan seven times. Pretty easy. It's not very difficult instructions. Anyone could understand that. But Naaman had better waters back home. They were cleaner, that produced gardens and orchards, and they were beautiful. The Jordan was muddy. It was a dirty river. Naaman had a better idea, he thought. But it's going to be done God's way. It's going to be done God's way. And then it says that Naaman went away in a rage. And so now Naaman is in the valley of decision. And he has a choice to make. Is he going to obey or is he going to not obey? Is he going to do what God says to do through the prophet Elisha or is he going to run? And he's angry. And boy, is it ever hard to make good decisions when you're angry. In our ministry, we have what we call a a 24-hour notice. If you want to leave the program, we don't force folks to be there, of course. I wish we could, but we can't. And so they have to turn in a 24-hour notice to counsel them, gather their belongings, notify family, notify whoever. But one of the most important reasons for that 24-hour notice is that usually people calm down. And it's never good to make major decisions about your life when you are in a rage or when you're angry and emotional. Always wait until you calm down a little bit before you finalize any of these major decisions but we have these moments in our lives that are called watershed moments these watershed moments where we can go one way or we can go the other way every continent on earth except for antarctica has a continental divide which are mountain ranges and stuff like that that separates water and it It causes water to flow in different directions, and it operates sort of like the the roof of a building that funnels water to either side. And in North America, the Continental Divide goes to the Rocky Mountains. And so we have this Continental Divide that goes through the Rocky Mountains, and water that falls to the west gets funneled into the Pacific Ocean. Water that falls to the right gets funneled to the Gulf of Mexico or even to the Atlantic Ocean. So there are places along the Rocky Mountains where when it rains, if a drop of rain falls a fraction of an inch to the left, it ends up in the Pacific Ocean. And if that little drop of rain falls a fraction to the right, the slightest little distance, It ends up in the Atlantic Ocean. A very, very slight, slight difference, drastically different destinations. Drastically different destinations. I've had many watershed moments in my life. So I was in our ministry back in 2012, and I wanted to leave. I was angry, I was emotional, and I gave my 24-hour notice. That was a watershed moment in my life. It was August, I think, August 12th or so, 2012. I was in the Valley of Decision where my destinations were going to be drastically different. And God sent people to me, and I listened to them. And thank goodness I made the decision that I made. I don't know where I would be at today if I would be anywhere, Today, had I not made that decision, but it was a defining moment in my life that had drastically different destinations. Naaman is now in the Valley of Decisions. He's angry and he has a decision to make. He goes away in a rage and in verse 13 it says, and his servants came near and spoke to him. And said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. His servants come and provide counsel to him. And they give him good counsel. And so Naaman, he wasn't even greeted by Elisha, but he sent messengers to greet him. He was told to go bathe in a muddy, dirty river. And now the man has to get counseled by people that he probably feels like should not be counseling him. They are his servants. So he's having to listen to people and receive counsel and godly instruction from people that he probably feels like he shouldn't have to because they were beneath him, or so he thought but he needed to listen. So he went down in verse 14 and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And so he did it. He He does what God tells him to do. God did what he said that he would do, and Naaman was healed. What if Naaman would have not gone and dipped in the Jordan River? How would things have turned out if he would have refused? I often wonder where my life would be had I not listened to the Lord in those defining moments in my life. How drastically things would have turned out for me. Verse 15. He returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Tried to give the prophet a gift? He is so overwhelmed with gratitude. Elisha didn't want the money, wasn't in it for the money. And then the story ends here. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule-loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods but to the Lord. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant... When my master goes into the temple of Raman to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Raman. And when I bow down in the temple of Raman, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Naaman shows up. Wanting a physical healing. He had a physical infirmity that he needed to get addressed. He got it. But he actually got something much greater than that. He got a spiritual healing. We begin the story where he's talking about Elisha and his God. It wasn't Naaman's God. When Naaman showed up, he had disdain for Israel and the rivers. He insulted them. They were dirty. They were filthy. He had better waters back home. Now he wanted to take a pile of Israel's soil back home with him. Do you see how he's changed? How his view of things has changed? He sees things differently differently. He's saved. He's no longer the same person. How he views the place that God brought him to receive his healing. He says, I want to take some of this place back home to where I'm from. He's grateful. He's willing to part with his money and give his money to the prophet. So Naaman in this story, and again, this is why I'm... As I I sum it up, I think that it so beautifully goes along with folks who come into the lion's den. Naaman has a condition, and it is an embarrassing, shameful condition that has isolated him from normal, everyday society. God, in his wisdom, intervened, and through certain circumstances, placed someone in Naaman's life to direct him to the place where God was going to heal him. He feels like he has nothing to lose. He obeys. God begins to humble him and crush his pride by not doing things the way that Naaman wants them done. Naaman is filled with rage. He enters into a watershed moment in his life where he has a decision to make, with two vastly different destinations. He receives counsel. He listens to the counsel. He obeys God. He is healed. His attitude changes. He becomes grateful. He goes from looking down on the place that God has him to desiring to take some of that back home to where he's from. This is a transformation that has happened in Naaman's life. And I think that it is a great story of God's amazing grace.